This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi everyone, it's Rabbi Dr. Jack Cohen. I'm hoping you're having a wonderful summer so far. Baruch Hashem, at least in the New York, New Jersey area, we're seeing a tremendous lessening of the restrictions from the coronavirus epidemic. We wish everyone out there who is still in a hot spot that you should have safety and health and prosperity and all good. Before we get into tonight's discussion, I want to just let everyone know, anywhere, any, anybody anywhere in the world that would like my help in Shaduchim, whether it's to act as a matchmaker or to help you in, in terms of any relationship that you're in or you're considering going into and you need advice and counsel of any kind, please feel free to reach out to me at my cell phone at 305-206-1916. Again, that's 305-206-1916 from anywhere in the world. It's a pleasure to help you and to guide you and to mentor you and to show you what to do. You can also email me at drjackcohen18 at gmail.com. That's spelled D-R-J-A-C-K-C-O-H-E-N-1-8 at gmail.com. I also, again, want to put it out there that I'm extremely involved with Partners at Shaduchim, an incredible organization which is doing an amazing job in collecting as many resumes as possible of singles, whether they've been married before or not married before, um, and uh, putting them on a platform where many people can go on there and see people's resumes. You may have seen someone at a wedding, at a party, and then you go on there, you can get more information. And usually there's a pal, which is called a personal advocate and liaison. That's an individual who takes responsibility to, to be, act on behalf of, the, uh, of that boy or girl, man or woman, to help facilitate the shidduch. Or if you need help in any way, I'm very involved in partners in shidduch, and I can help you meet the people that you'd like to meet. Just send me a shout-out on WhatsApp or text, and we can make that happen. So please, if you have not put your resume up on, the, on partners in shidduch, do so right away. If you know those who should have their resume, put it up for them. Many people put up resumes for their friends and relatives, and it's a tremendous chesed, it's a tremendous mitzvah that you're helping someone to facilitate helping them build a Jewish home. Before I get into tonight's uh, main topic, which is how to build a great Jewish home and how a husband and wife need to act with each other and towards each other, I needed to share an incredible story that I recently saw. This story is amazing because we live in a world where we've gotten used to the fact that I have to control my destiny, I have to know that I'm in control from A to Z, and sometimes Hashem flips us on our backs and shows us that He ultimately is the boss. Let me share with you an incredible shidduch story about a man who writes that my daughter was only fi- was my only child for five years. He had been married for many years. He had had no kids. Finally, after many years, he had a child, which was a daughter, after which we were blessed with two sons. Our children's childhood was very blissful. They were the light of our eyes, and we doted on our children. There was something special about our only daughter, who was beautiful, talented, and refined. My wife and I spared no expense for Naomi's education and development. She went to a good seminary and earned a degree in occupational therapy. When Naomi was about to enter Shaduchim, we were inundated with calls. And I'll tell you why, the man writes. Shadchanim knew that we were in a position to ensure that our future son-in-law lacked nothing because I had a fantastic business. I was prepared to promise years of support along with a house, a car, and a position in my business should my daughter's husband decide that he wanted to enter the business world. Essentially, I had everything that I could possibly need to offer a young man to come into my, into my daughter's life. But the young man in question had to be an Eloi, which in Hebrew means an absolute gifted genius. An accomplished rabbi, a Tamat Chacham from the right family. He had his pecking order of what he was looking for. Although I was warned that the perfect son-in-law only exists in storybooks, I was determined to find him, no matter how long it took, and so the quest began for that perfect son-in-law. Listening to the Shadchanim or matchmakers and following up with research was a full-time job. The Shadchanim kept extolling the virtues of an array of boys, each of whom was considered the greatest learner, the sharpest Talmud Chacham, and the guy who had the greatest fear of heaven. 
the one most deserving of my talented daughter. And so they were all lining up to try to get a crack at my daughter. But I was in no rush. Naomi was young and we figured we would take it slowly. But the weeks bled into months and we were no closer to finding the perfect boy. And then one day shortly after Naomi's 20th birthday, a matchmaker suggested Yoni Gottman, who learned in one of the best and most prestigious yeshivas in Israel. He was already giving his own chabura, which is a when individuals are, are given a lesson by a senior lecturer. In addition, he was printing a, a book of his own novel, uh, or chedushim as we say in Hebrew, innovative thoughts on Gemara. He was definitely a Tamat Chacham in the budding, a tremendous scholar in the budding, with a brilliant future ahead of him. When we began to investigate Yoni, we learned that the Yashatchem was not exaggerating. Yoni truly was a star. His parents were refined people, and his pedigree was prestigious, with several prominent rabbis in the family tree. I spoke to the Rosh Yeshiva, who was the dean of the academy, his friends, anyone who knew Yoni, even the custodian of the Yeshiva building, where he had learned as a young bacher. I wanted to know every little detail about this young man. I was about to say yes to the matchmaker when another matchmaker called with a different suggestion. Ephraim Laser was a rising star who learned in the same yeshiva. In fact, the two learned with each other and were study partners and very close and they lived in the same apartment. They were both nice looking young men at the top of their class. Both brilliant, analytical and exceptionally talented. Both were from beautiful families with pedigree. Ephraim had one extra asset in his favor. The second boy, he was more friendly and personable than Yoni, who was said to be more intellectually superior. Now we were in a bind. Who do we go with? Who do we choose for our husband, a husband for our daughter? Is it Ephraim or is it Yoni? Both young men and their parents were interested in Naomi, of course. And why not? Naomi was everything one could hope for in a daughter-in-law. And then there was the package deal of full support. Over the next few days, I compiled endless lists of pros and cons, grilled all their friends several times, spoke to the dean of the yeshiva again, and the Shaul Meshiv, which is the person that is responsible to answering questions of the young learned men in the yeshiva, and even the cashier who worked in the supermarket where both boys shopped. That's how much detail he put into his investigation. In the end, Ephraim's friendly personality won out. After all, Naomi had to live with him for the rest of her life, and a pleasant personality would make this so much easier. Then just a day before Naomi was to meet Ephraim, for the first time, I heard a piece of information that was difficult to swallow. We learned that Ephraim's great aunt, we're talking about his grandmother's older sister, was said to be, quote-unquote, an interesting woman. She had never married, and people said she looked depressed. It wasn't something that would play a role in my daughter's life. After all, that's three generations up. But I couldn't wish it away. I kept thinking about it and worrying about it. And I was talking about a great aunt over here. I was nervous about the family genes and how they might affect my daughter's children and grandchildren. I think you're being ridiculous, said a family friend who knew Lazar as well. The chances of a random great aunt's emotional state affecting your daughter's children are very far-fetched. You're going overboard with this, my friends told me. There are no guarantees in life. Who are you to try to play God? Naomi's future family needs to be perfect, I said. If there are any emotional issues in the family background, it's not for me. I would never forgive myself. I allowed Naomi to marry a boy that I would allow my daughter to marry a boy that had emotional baggage. I would never allow it. You call a great aunt's supposed emotional problems baggage? You really think you can control your child's destiny, my friend said? I shrugged and I called the matchmaker to cancel the meeting. After all, who wanted to take a risk with the family genetics? We weren't just talking about the marriage. This is future generations that are at stake. I felt sorry for Ephraim, who was eager to join our family. But I had to think about Naomi and her future. That was first and foremost 
my priority. Two days later, Naomi and Yoni met and immediately sensed the bond. The shidduch progressed at lightning speed, and within two weeks, Naomi was a happy kala. She was getting ready to get married. The engagement period passed quickly in the haze of euphoria and joy. We spared no expense or effort for our only daughter. As my wife and I walked her to the chuppah or the wedding canopy, I whispered a fervent prayer, davening to Hashem, that her path should be strewn only with roses. And indeed, the young couple enjoyed a glorious first year, or as we say in Hebrew, Shana Rishona, living in a penthouse apartment that I purchased for them in Eretz Yisrael. Could you get it any better? My wife and I had such nachas, or such happiness and joy, in spades, from our daughter and son-in-law. I was grateful for my savvy skills and excellent investment in the way I investigated the boy. I had gotten the perfect shidduch for my daughter, and I was glad I hadn't chosen Ephraim with this complicated family background. Or so he thinks, because listen to what happens. During the first few years, we regularly received good feedback about our talented son-in-law. His chief rabbi spoke glowingly of Yoni, predicting that he would have a brilliant future. You really got the perfect catch, people would comment us. What's your secret? How did you get such a great son-in-law? There's no secret. We just had divine help from above, turning pink with pleasure. Though I didn't voice it, I did think my pursuit of perfection was the key. That I wouldn't give up until I got the perfect son-in-law. My insistence on a perfect family background without sacrificing on the quality of the boy had paid off. The blow, when it came, was out of left field. When Naomi was expecting her third child, Yoni, her husband, our pride and joy, upon whom we had pinned so many hopes and dreams, began suffering from depression. It was so bad that he was unable to pray or learn. He sat in bed for weeks on end. In fact, he could barely get out of bed. At first, Naomi tried to shield us from her trauma, hiding all this from us, forging valiantly ahead, covering up for her husband, making excuses and saying he wasn't feeling well. But we sensed that something was amiss. So we decided to go to Israel to check it out. What we learned when we arrived, the truth hit us in the face. The situation was much worse than we could have imagined. We remained in Israel for several months trying to help Yoni and be there from our, our daughter Naomi. I won't go into detail about the grueling toll that his mental state took on our family. And the way our beautiful daughter, the light of our life, became a shadow of our former self forced to raise children on her own because her husband was just non-existent. The so-called star, the perfect, perfect son-in-law. It's been a roller coaster ride ever since. There are times when it all seems to be well, when he only resembles the young man he was years ago when he first got married. And at those times, we begin to think that we can put this nightmare behind us. And then, he only has another relapse. And it happens all over again. Many years have passed since Yoni became sick, but it haunts me every day of my life. I can't believe that I gave up on the shidduch because of an alleged issue with a great aunt. How stupid could I be? How foolish could I have acted? I wanted to protect our precious daughter Naomi to ensure that her future generations would be free from any imperfections. What a fool I was to think I had control over that, that I could play God. I know that our ordeal with Yoni was bashert, was meant from, from God, and that nothing we could have done would have prevented it. In addition to learning a lot about this disease called depression and the torment it causes not only for the sufferer, but for the entire family. I'm no longer under the illusion that I can control my own destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, we've passed a couple of parshas in the last few weeks where we saw what happens when human beings try to think that they're in control of their life. When Korach feels that, I've got it made here, I can tell Moshe what to do, I can create a rebellion, and he was led into the abyss and losing an Olam and going into purgatory forever. And what about the spies? Thinking now, no, it wasn't good enough. 
We have to be in control. This is not a land that we can want or want to go into. So we have to be very careful. When choosing a shidduch, don't think that you're in control and you're the boss and you have to have every little detail worked out and you have to have it to perfection because if you seek that, you may get yourself in serious trouble. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.